0: Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night, your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Go ahead and grab a seat. Pray with me. God of life, we know... That you came to give life abundantly. We long for that life. We want the full, overflowing life. And sometimes we get confused at how to get it. Would you guide us, God? Meet us in our confusion, meet us in our misshapen strategies, meet us in our longings. Bring us life. Use these words today, God, from your story to open us to receive you in this practice. In Jesus' name, amen. If we've ever met or spent time together, you might know that I get hangry, like really hangry. Yesterday, uh, my family decided like, hey, we don't have plans. Let's go to the park. And so, you know, we're like mid-morning. We had had breakfast a little while ago. Our kids are young, so we're coming up on the snack time hour. We're preparing. Okay, we've got all the stuff. We're going to put them in the trailer. It's only like 97 degrees at this point. We're going to jump on the bikes and like ride on black asphalt all the way to a park that is hopefully partially shaded. And we're packing up, and I just start to get a little bit mean. My kids are being four and two, normal four and two-year-old stuff, and I'm like barking at them like, knock it off, let's go, come on, we're hurt!" Because you know, we don't have anything else to do today, so we better get to the park on time. So that we can play more. And you know, I just I'm just being mean. And I just I feel myself just like I'm just a grouch. So we get on the bikes and I'm like, ah, it's hot, and I'm going uphill, and I'm sweaty, and this is not what I want right now. And then we get a little farther in the bike ride. It's like a fifteen minute bike ride. we're not talking long here. I'm halfway through and I was like, okay. Warming up a little bit. We get to the park, and I realize, oh, I'm hungry. That's actually what's going on. My kids are just being four and two. Like, that's normal, and they actually were really helpful in wanting to, like, go to the park and get themselves ready. I mean, they got their own shoes out, and I'm, you know, like, yelling at them to go faster. We show up to the park, and I pull out a granola bar. I'm like, oh, yeah, what's going on in here is that I need some food because I'm just being mean because I have low blood sugar and I, want it, I need some food in me. And then I can be like a normal human being again. So I eat the granola bar and all of a sudden I like have some patience for my children. You guys might experience this. It might not be with hunger. It might be with something else. If you're a kid in the room, you might know like, oh yeah, sometimes when I'm sad, I get mean. I know that's true of kids that I'm around sometimes. Something is sad or scary or Confusing, or there's unknown stuff going on, we kind of just like get mean a little bit or mad, or maybe some of us like withdraw. But what happens is we start to realize that the thing that's actually happening, like the problem that we're experiencing or the challenge that we're experiencing, the driving force behind our behavior, is not what's out there. Like my kids were not the problem. Going on a bike ride on a Saturday morning was not a problem even though I thought it was. The problem was in here, in me. I was hungry. I needed something inside of me to change. That's what was driving my behavior, was some problem in here. I know we can all relate to that. All of us have at some moment in our life realized, oh, it's not about that person that I'm at at or that situation I'm frustrated with. Like what's really going on is that something in here is mixed up. I've got some misplaced things inside of me that is real. that's really what's driving my behavior right now. I think this story that Jesus tells, this little parable, is a great lens for us to look through to get a clearer picture of what is actually going on inside of us with our relationship to money and stuff, Possessions. I think this story excavates a little bit into our own lives. Even though it's really old, it feels very relatable. And it digs into us a little bit to help us locate what is actually happening in me around building wealth, about acquiring stuff, so that we might get a better sense of what is driving our behavior in reality. And I'm going to put out to us now, we'll explore this a little bit, It's all in here. It's inside of us. It's not about the money. Money is neutral. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. We need to pay attention to what's going on inside of us as we relate to it. So we're going to jump into this story. We'll come back to the beginning part. But we're going to start kind of in verse 16. Jesus starts telling a story of this guy who all of a sudden is very rich. You know, in that time, that meant crops, food. For some of us, maybe you grew up on a farm, you know about farming. Your wealth is literally tied to how much grows from the ground and how you can harvest it. So when there is a lot, so much so that this person is like, I don't know what to do, I better just build bigger barns. For some of us who don't farm, just imagine, I better buy a bank so I can keep all my money in the bank because I don't have anywhere to put it. That's the scale, okay? Instant wealth, instant life completely changed from working every day just to make it to what do I do now? That's the story. And I want to invite us to think about, for this man, what does the wealth mean? If it's, if it's inherently neutral, what does it mean to him? And do we get a picture about what it means and can that inform us at all in our lives? I want to put out there that I think it means something really specific. He says in verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. First of all, his possessions somehow are addressing his soul. Something feels a little bit off about that. That his money is speaking, like informing his soul. I think he's saying to himself, you've arrived. What you hoped for, for your whole life, has happened. You can retire. Eat, drink, be happy. You've achieved what you imagined as the good life. It is given to you now. You possess it. This is what he was made for. And he, he communicates that here by saying, like, you made it. You have what you wanted. Now just lay back and enjoy. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy. I'm not saying we shouldn't appreciate what we have or relax or eat or drink or be happy. I am saying that the fact that he was hoping for that and then this wealth was delivered to him and he feels, I have made it. This is what I have longed for my whole life. That might be a problem. Because I don't think the money causes the problems. I think it reveals what was already there. He already had this vision for what he wanted in the future. It was already there before he had stacks and stacks of money. So his, his preferred future, the thing that he hoped for, how he imagined his life, the best case scenario he imagines is secured, provided for now, and ongoing into the future because he is suddenly very, very rich. His sense of like, I've arrived just really clearly communicates to us the kind of life that he has hoped for. It's a life that says, I want to be happy I want to be relaxed and content, secure. And the thing that will provide that for me is money. So I'm going to pursue having as much as I can so that I can have these big questions about my life answered in the way that I want them to be answered. So functionally, he's trusting this stack of money to provide for him a sense of security and contentment now and in the future. That's functionally what's happening. Now, I think we can look at this, remove from it, and be like, oh yeah, that's not a good idea. We've all seen how this plays out. But practically, I, I want to question us. You know, we're, we're a pretty well-educated, smart, high-achieving group of people here in the room. Don't think we're above and beyond this. This is real in all of our lives at some level. This, this same idea this vision of life that says having money and the stuff money can buy is kind of the point. It's going to secure some things for us in the future. Now, we can turn that around a couple of different ways. You can look at it upside down, or you might be, you know, in relation to that idea, like somewhere around the circle, but we're all orienting around it in some way because you live in the United States in 2019 This is the world we live in. We're all affected by this perspective. So we're not going to say money is the point. We'd never say that. We say, hey, I want to be happy. I want my life to be comfortable in 40 years. I want to know when I can retire and make a plan for that. And that's a good thing. Those are not bad things. We want to be safe. We want to be fulfilled. We want to be confident all normal important good desires that people have but our whole world our whole culture tells us the way to get towards that stuff is to have more wealth so you can buy the things that promise your desired future so we buy some product or some experience that promise to make promise to make us feel safe or happy or fulfilled or content or confident Whatever it is, maybe we think, like, I need to feel attractive. There's a million products out there who are promising you, if you buy me, you will be attractive. We do this. We participate in this life. So we build up our wealth so we can have money readily available to buy the stuff that promises to fulfill our longings. Maybe it's not just actual money. Maybe for you, it's, it's toys. The bikes, the trailers, the cars for the trailers, the skis, the ski racks, the ski passes, the weekends in the mountain. If you're like me, the fly rods, the fishing nets, the reels, the waders, the weekends in the mountains to use all the stuff. Maybe for you, it's more stylish clothing or new clothing or new running shoes or a new trip to go running or a new trail to go run on and put it on social media. Whatever it is, at some level we've bought the vision that we'll be happy or content or fulfilled that our desires will be met when and then we put a thing or a number for our bank account in that space. All you have to do is like look at any commercial that's ever been produced. This is all advertising is. What are the desires you have? How can I promise to meet them? What's it going to cost? We participate in the system. That hook is deep in us. No matter who we are, it's in us. And so now we have the opportunity to pay attention to it and to engage with it. So whether whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, like this is part of our life, is engaging with the core desires that we have, these big questions and longings and hopes and dreams about a future, like this farmer. We have hopes about the future. And we're trying to figure out how to get to that future and stuff or financial advisors or commercials that tell us, you know, if you have enough, if you have this number in your bank account, you will get these things. There's promises made to you all the time. And over time, we learn this is how the world works. If I want X, I got to buy Y or I got to work hard to achieve and to acquire this other thing. I imagine that if if Jesus didn't stop this story, it might go a little something like this. This is a true story, by the way. A man called Jack Whitaker was already rich, millionaire, when he won $315 million in the lottery in the early 2000s. And his life subsequently fell apart. Completely, like completely fell apart. And he said, I wish that we had torn the ticket up. I just don't like Jack Whitaker. I don't like the hard heart I've got. I don't like what I've become. And a friend said to him, or a friend said of him, he's the last person I would have prototyped for going completely crazy, but he did. No question, it was because he won the lottery. Now, I might put out there, the money wasn't the problem, there was already some problems. The money just revealed kind of the emptiness of the promises that he had you know bought that vision of life that he bought. All of a sudden it was delivered and it didn't hold up. So everything fell apart. He got what at least on some level we all dream of. We could have all the stuff that we want. Good stuff. You know, bigger house to host people, a car that works. These are fine things. The pro, they're, they're not bad things. It's just that we, we think they're promising us what we really, really want. And maybe they are promising those things, but they can't deliver. They can't deliver because what we're asking for as humans is, is at the basic level is life. We want full, whole, fulfilled, meaningful life. So, of course, a new car or a new toy or a bunch of money in our pocket is not going to deliver that. And we know this. I mean, all of us, we've all had that moment where, like, you know what? I really want to buy this new thing. It's going to, you know, for me, it's like, oh, man, I want some new fishing stuff. I'm, like, totally confessing, addicted to fly fishing, leaving this afternoon to go fishing. Like, it's a thing. I, all the time, like, oh, if I just get the right equipment... If I can get to the right spot at the right time, that's gonna, it's going to be perfect. But what I really want, I really want some leisure, some fun, some enjoyment. I want to feel like, oh man, I am living the life I dreamed of. And can fishing deliver that? Never. It's pretty good. But it cannot deliver. So whatever it is, I mean, we all are different people. We all have different stories. We all have different longings. But, but if we're trying to put that the weight of like the meaning and purpose of our life on a thing or a bank account, it can never deliver because what we really want is whole, vibrant, full life. The type of life that the Apostle John talks about Jesus coming to give. He says, Christ came so that you might have life and life abundantly. That's why Jesus came. The God of the universe showed up on earth for us to have life, for all people to have life, full life, that's at peace and not gripped by anxiety, that's marked by joy and not fear, but embraces things like failure and pain and suffering instead of running from them. Real, full life. So of course, a bigger bank account or more stuff can't give us that. You know, our, our deepest longings, our biggest questions, wrestling with the big, hard things of life, of course stuff can't hold those things up. Can't bear the weight of those questions and those wrestlings and those longings. They were never made to. And as Jesus says earlier in this passage, it's because you're looking for life and your life is found in more than an abundance of possessions. So if we want life, if we can really tap into the, the real desire, we got to look beyond our stuff and our money. So God, God gives it straight to this guy. He stacks up his money in his barn. He's thinking, I'm, I'm good. I'm all set. This is what I've dreamed of. Maybe a little bit harshly, God says, Fool, tonight you die. And then what? You're going to leave behind a stack of money as your legacy? That's all? That's what you've been working so hard for? You got all you wanted in your life. And now you're going to die with a whole bunch of money in your barn, but you have a shallow existence. Been stripped of any depth by your pursuit of all the stuff and all the money. You spent your whole life, as the quote on the front of our worship guide warns about, spent your whole life making a living, but you never made a life. It was all about the stuff. And here you are at the end. You've never wrestled with the challenges of your own failures or complexity. You've never wrestled with meaning of your existence, your purpose, or your connection with other people. You've never wrestled or experienced real deep joy and grief. No meaningful engagement in the like, why am I here? What am I about? Or connecting with like the deep wrestling with the unbalanced injustice of the world. Like that shouldn't be a thing and we should care about that and participate in making that right. But instead, this guy, he's got a pile of money. And that's it. So tonight, God says, as Eugene Peterson translates in the message, a barn full of self, not of God, you die a fool. And that's it. Now, if, if you're here today, whether you are just exploring, like, is this Jesus guy real? Like, what's he about? Whatever reason brings you here, I have to assume that. You don't think that's the only option because otherwise you would not be wasting your Sunday morning at church. You'd be out doing something fun or making money. But here you are. You have, a, you have a question maybe, like, is that it? Maybe there's more to this life that I have. Maybe there's another way. And I think there is. I think God offers another vision. One that's maybe worth building our life towards. Building our life on that actually, as we pursue it, kind of comes back at us and fills us with life. It does not deplete us, but actually brings life into us. This future that, that God is inviting all people to is beautifully described in, in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, in this, this vision that says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. God will dwell with them. They will be God's people and God himself will be with them. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the thing, first things have passed away and the one who was seated on the throne said, see, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. This is a vision that can hold our deepest longings and hopes, desires, our preferred future, what we just dream of as the best life ever. This vision can hold those longings and can actually help shape them into something that brings life here and now as well as delivers on their promise for a life down the road. This invites us to participate with God in actually making this future through learning and practicing things like being peacemakers, through living whole lives and accepting you know, all the suffering and pain as just part of human experience, not as some like, consequence of something we did wrong. Practicing things like grace and forgiveness and generosity and love and justice and gratitude. That's the invitation. Those things move us towards this, this other vision and they give life here and now. So if we, if we recognize like there's this, there's this kind of fruitless pursuit of wealth and stuff to try to answer our deepest questions about life and help, help us land on some meaning about what we're doing here. If, if that's not it, and then there's this other vision that says, hey, this, this vision is good for all people. It's just and whole and invites you to be whole and it actually brings life to you here and now. So you have these competing visions. How is it that we change? If we're, if we're like fully in, and at some level we're all in over here in this wealth vision, how do we change? How do we shift? How do we try to practice something else? Jesus, a little bit later in this same chapter, he's kind of keep continuing this discourse. He kind of starts talking to his disciples a little more directly. He says, and this is the kind of a modern day translation that helps us access. this what I'm trying to do here is get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way God works fuss over these things, the having of stuff. But you know both God and how God works. Steep yourself in God's reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find that all your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You're my dearest friends. God wants to give you the very kingdom itself. So be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt. A bank in heaven far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers. A bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. So Jesus says, what you love, what you focus on, the thing that you hold most dear, the thing that you orient your whole life towards will determine where you're trying to get. And you're going to end up there. You spend your whole life trying to move in that direction. That's where you're going to go. So pay attention to what you're valuing, what you're holding as like the most important things because that's where you're going. And then he gives two really practical things that I want us to hear. One, change your focus from trying to get, trying to acquire, that leads us in this, this way of life that is all about acquiring to secure this desired future that we have. Change the focus from acquiring to recognize all that you've been given, to name it, to let yourself actually receive it. So I, I, we're going to do that right now. Take a minute. Take a breath if you need it. Close your eyes if that's helpful. I want you to remember think back in your life. Big and small, what are the gifts that you've been given? Is there a person in your life that you know has always and will always be for you? That's a gift. Did you sit on your patio and listen to the rain, feel something in your soul come alive? That is a gift. If you've been out to see the wildflowers this year, they're a gift to you. Has someone been present to you in your suffering? They are a gift. Name them. Now stay there and transition a little bit to how might you respond? Natural way. There's no right way here. How might you respond to these gifts that God has given you? So that's number one, the practice that God gives us to help shape our internal desires towards a future that is good for us and all people now, that brings life back to us. The second thing he says is be generous. Give to the poor. Like we said before, money's not the problem. But everywhere we look is telling us, Buy this thing, do this with your money, and it's going to solve your problems. Even though it's not true, we buy it when we live there. So I think any meaningful step away from this consumption mindset or this wealth-building mindset as, as like the, a meaningful response to our deepest longings in the world, any, any change is going to require us to open our white-knuckled fists and divest ourselves from the empty promises of consumerism. Some of that's going to involve just giving some things away. We've got to learn that it's going to be okay to give away more money than maybe we feel good about at the moment. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay to be generous with our time, with our stuff. Your life's not about that anyway. That's a practice that we can take on, that can become a habit That actually forms what we desire. That's how habits, or that's how desires are shaped, is through embodied practices over and over and over and over. It shapes what we care about, what we long for as this desired future. And this desired future, where there's no more tears, no more suffering, where God gives the gift of the water of life, that's a good future that brings life now. So as we do these things, as we change our focus towards what God has given, and as we practice generosity, over time our imaginations are shaped for the life that we hope for. Our vision changes from stacks of money filling our barns and our pockets, to something a little bit more like Jesus. This God come near, who was compassionate and passionate who is powerful and aligned with the powerless, who responded to humanity's deepest desires, our biggest questions with his presence, his full presence. It was so for you. God did this in Jesus so that we might all have a life that surely consists of much, much, much more than the abundance of possessions. And maybe we'll even start to be gracious like Jesus or loving like Jesus or forgiving like Jesus. Maybe we'll even find ourselves participating in making all things new. Friends, that's the future I long for for myself and the future I long for for this community. Let's pray. God of life, come and meet us now. Open us to see ourselves truly to where we lay our deepest desires. What do we put them on? And can those things bear the weight of our meaning, of our purpose, of our hopes and our longings? Help us to recognize the truth that you offer full, whole, good life. Now, and the promise of a future that is full and whole and good for all people. In the name of God, the Redeemer, Christ the Savior, the Spirit, the Sustainer. Amen.